and happiness are the things that everybody's looking for. And the first one that they all think about, I'd be happy if, I'd be wonderful if, I wouldn't want anything else if. And what is if? Well, the Chinese summed it up all right. Now, the Chinese said, if you want to be happy for an hour, drink a bottle of wine. If you want to be happy for 24 hours, marry a wife. If you want to be happy for a week, kill your pig and eat him. But if you want to be happy forever, dig and plant a garden. Happiness obviously means different things to different people, and the subject is so large and yet so simple that it has seldom been submitted to any kind of academic scrutiny. Abraham Lincoln once said that he found that most people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. Somebody else said that if you observe a really happy man, you'll find him building a boat, writing a symphony, educating his son, growing double dahlias in his garden, are looking for dinosaur eggs in the Gobi Desert. He will not be striving for it as a goal in itself. He will have become aware that he is happy in the course of living life 24 crowded hours of the day. Some other wise man said that happiness is like a kiss. In order to get any good out of it, you have to give it to somebody else. But apart from these general observations... Experts recognise two primary needs of a human being in order to achieve happiness or contentment. They are security and achievement. Security comes from understanding one's environment and being able to control it or cope with it, while at the same time having the social support of family and friends. All this, I suppose, starts way back in childhood. One happy man we've met has been a hospital doctor for many years. He's an expert in folk medicine, an author of quite a few books, and a rural philosopher. So let's hear Dr. Pat Logan comment on his early days in relation to coping with one's surroundings as a basis for contentment. We had security. We knew that when we went home, our mother would be there and our father would be there and the dinner would be there and the bed would be there. And... uh, we knew that, and that was there was no doubt about that. Uh, nowadays, I think children lack a certain amount of security. And also, when we, as we went on and grew up and learned uh, the facts of life, what are, as they're called, uh, from watching cows and bulls and uh, dogs and bitches and all the life of the land going on, we didn't think anything very wonderful about sex. Sex was a part of the community. It was part of the life. Uh, there was no damn nonsense. Imagine uh, teaching uh, a lad uh, whose father kept a bull uh, the facts of life. <laughs> what sort of bloody nonsense is he talking about? Uh, and that that's uh, part of the things. When we were beco- entering adolescence and the rest of it, we, nobody took any heed of us to let us grow on and get on with the job. And you didn't need to get any advice from Of course from we didn't. We weren't altogether dumb, were we? We told dirty stories. But people tell dirty stories here now, everywhere. That doesn't alter the fact that we can still have belly laughs. 
uh, about it. We even knew about homosexuality. Done in late terms. Yes, certainly. Uh, my brother and I counted uh, uh, the local uh, homosexuals. Oh, yes. That is, is perfectly well. No, we, we, we didn't need that sort of silly education. Nobody does if they live in a proper environment. And anyway, uh, with boys and girls uh, in the same house and going to a boys and girls school, what the devil uh, is to learn about facts of life? Ah, I think it's all quite unnecessary. Happiness is said to be more a matter of how you regard your circumstances than what your circumstances really are. Many people, for example, might consider convent or monastic life to be cold, austere and devoid of what they would consider happiness. Yet that is not the case, as we hear from these nuns who are members of the Poor Clare Order and live the enclosed contemplative life behind the high walls of their convent in Nuns Island in Galway City. Us pray, give us grace, Almighty God, so to unite ourselves in faith with your only Son, who underwent death and lay buried in the tomb, that we may rise again in newness of life with him, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. The Lord grant us a quiet night and a perfect end. something that comes from within yourself more than from seeing a house or anything like that, you know. It's not to do with anything external. And um, when I realised that I possibly had a vocation, I remembered having seen the monastery and I came down and I read them and thought about it. And uh, I made up my mind to enter them. You're opening up a new road in life too, which is ten times better than the one you just turned your back against. I think, too, that you do like all the things you have outside. You know, you like what you're doing and you like mixing, like all girls your own age, but you feel called to... You feel called to a life of prayer. And it draws you so much that you decide to give up all the other things, even though you like them. It is a very happy life and a very full day. And each sister does her own duties and she enjoys her little free time Everything's arranged so that nothing's overcrowded. A family spirit, yes. The domestic virtues are very much in evidence here. Cordiality, sympathy and generosity amongst us. The domestic virtues. Well, I wouldn't say you, you, you'd ever have anything like what people would call a row outside. No. You'd have a difference, maybe. It would be very tiny, but in, you, because of the enclosed atmosphere, you might think it was big. But really... You don't have anything worth talking about. In the enclosed life, small things can appear very big. Joys as well as sorrows and little irritations. You know, they can assume a magnitude that they don't really have at all. You know, some, I mean, some people now are um, maybe over-punctual, others less so. And uh, 
well, one group is going to get on the nerves of another, obviously, you know. Some will be too quick at something, some will be too slow. It's the very same things as people outside, you know. People are trying to forget that we're still human beings. Putting on the habit doesn't mean you shed your human nature, you know, but you normally don't express your impatience, you know, you're just conscious of it yourself. But the one thing I'd say that I noticed since the very first time I did come in here was the fact that there was such a, a family um, sort of atmosphere amongst the whole lot of the sisters. You'd imagine it was like just walking into a, a house where it was just a family pulled together all the time. There's a great um, atmosphere all together. Yeah. It's lovely now that a young sister <coughs> noticed that because... Um, we do try to cultivate that, you know, so much so that each sister's own family in the world, as we'll say, becomes ours. We're just as interested in the families of each individual sister as, as of our own. You know, it comes quite naturally to us. There's nothing um, stilted or put on about it. We're very much a family. Because, I mean, if you realise what being a Franciscan is, you know, what being a Christian is, and a Franciscan Christian is, well, really, there's an area that nothing can touch. No sorrow or tragedy can touch, if you realise that. No, you know. happiness. no happiness like the happiness in the poor clears in our right. life. Perfect fulfilment. Mm -hmm. You couldn't wish, I couldn't imagine <coughs> any, any life in the world outside to be mm -hmm. so happy. That anybody could get such perfect fulfilment in their pursuit of mm -hmm. perfection or, or love for God or union with God. And the older you go... Uh, the more intense it becomes. Yeah. And you're always joyful in heart, no matter what you have to suffer. You just don't mind. You, you, see, you see through suffering, you see there's a meaning to it and there's a reason for it. And you could even get to the stage sometimes of welcoming particular things because you know there is a reason. God has a reason. You may not always see the reason, but nothing is sent you know, without a reason. Well, joy has been defined as, as a sense of purpose. You know where you're going and you know you're pointed in that direction all the time and it doesn't matter what happens. It isn't your position that makes you happy or unhappy, it's your disposition. Brian Bateson is an 18-year-old apprentice with the ESB. I call myself very happy. Like I don't make take the worst out of life or make the best out of life for myself because if I'm happy, you do nothing, you go nowhere, and you just don't enjoy life generally. Now, you've just finished school. Uh, were you happy during those years? Oh, school, they were the best days of my life, I'd say. Really great, enjoy yourself. It's all you do is have to learn a few things and pass them, and then you get on good with the masters. And if you get on good with the masters, you can get interested in things like you could run dances in the school, which I did, and get go out on trips and, you know, go off like in, like I do canoeing. I done canoeing from the school and like I've gone off instructing canoeing down to Wexford and instructing sailing and I've become quite good and I still do it even though I left the school and I go up to school and if there's dancers up there and they need a help I'll give a hand you know it's, it's good to get on with people you know and still get on with them when you have stopped seeing them you know well, do you get satisfaction and contentment out of helping other young fellows? Oh, I do. See, I'm a cub leader, you know. I'm, you know, bringing the cubs off and 
and playing games with them and showing them how to do arts and crafts or how to draw or how to play football even or that oh, you get an enjoyment out of seeing the club smiling and laughing and acting the age you could call it you know it's really great fun you know and then with you showing them you get the fun out of them messing back with you and that you know it's really great fun well let's say Brian you must have had a happy childhood I have like it's never put down like if I was allowed to do something and the parents agreed with it well if really if I wanted to do something and the parents agreed with it, it's no problem they'd let me go ahead and do it if they thought I was safe and I'd be alright and I'd be in no danger they'd let me do it so they would I was never told really how to run my own life you know I was allowed to run my own life and do what I want to like I'd never do anything wrong against the parents because you know they brought you into the world and they're raiding you up and they pay for your clothes your shoes or your schooling or whatever and if you come to a certain age say so you have to pay for yourself and maybe leave home but still like you pay them back well you wouldn't pay them back by wrecking things on them you pay them back by giving them things and doing things for them and do whatever they ask. If you don't make the best of you, for yourself, nobody else is going to. Part then, Brian, from all that help you do with Cubs and helping young people to enjoy themselves. I know that you're also fond of discos and that you had a very unhappy experience there recently that you were, in fact, at Stardust the night of the big burning. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, you know, well, I left, you know, it was only a chance. I only, that night gone down to the Stardust, it was only a chance going in because it was still nothing else for the night and it's after doing a bit of studying for my junior trade start coming up and I just went down on chance and I didn't even think I'd get in because I am underage I'm underage but you're 18 are you? yeah I'm 18 but it's over 21 in there because of the bar well I don't drink so it didn't bother me if they stopped me I'd say oh Jenny I don't drink I'm only going for the dance you know and I went in oh, I was great and I really brilliant but then when the fire happened you know I seen a girl standing right beside the blaze and I ran over to her and she was in hysterics, you know, shouting and screaming for her sister. And then I turned around and said, come on, Caroline, we'll go. And she said, um, no, I'm looking for Lorette. I'm not leaving till I find Lorette. And I says, Lorette is all right. I'm after seeing her go out. She still wouldn't come. So I said, then one of my mates joined me. We used to walk in the place, Nicky. And he turned around and said, come on, we go out through the bar. But the flame was over near the bar, and I said, you must be joking, I'm not going out through there. So I just picked up Caroline in one arm, and Nicky grabbed on, and we just started running towards the exit, one of the exits. Well, I was heading for the same one that was locked in hope that it would be open. By the time we were halfway across the stage, the dance floor, I mean, the lights went, and the whole ceiling was ablaze at this time. And on the dance floor, you could sort of see where you were going with the ceiling on fire and then we just kept running and the f- ceiling began to drop down on people And but I just kept running all the time and then you suddenly go into this black thick smoke and you couldn't breathe and a lot of people were holding the breath 
their breaths to so they wouldn't inhale this stuff and some didn't and you just kept running all the time and then you're in I was in amongst crowds you know and we were all just going for the one door and we then the next thing now we were outside and we were outside and I got my mates together all my mates together and I turned to go back and help but then the the roof had fallen in and the, the flames were coming out of the door and there wasn't very much then I could do well, did many of your friends die in the tragedy? I know about, I know eleven people. They were friends of mine that did die in the in the tragedy, and I know a good few in hospital as well. They are badly wounded. I never really thought about it that night. The first time it really hit me was the Sunday after, when I was talking to a few few people, and I got thinking about it. It hit me bad then. And then the following Wednesday, I went up to the hospital to see the f- few people I knew. And then after seeing the way they were and how lucky I was to get out without a scratch on me, that that really put me in a bad mood just for a, like a while. All that night, well, for about three hours afterwards, I was in a bit of a bad mood. But I was with a few friends that started to cheer me up and I says, ah, sure, life has to go on. I have to start enjoying it again. Like, a lot of people are saying, oh, I'm not going into a dance hall anymore because of what happened. But I said that, say, the week after, but now the way I feel is you have to go into a dance hall. You can't just end your life to nothing. You have to go back and enjoy life the way it used to be and get back out going to places. Of course, you'd be a bit more cautious now after something like that happening to you. A night at a disco, a concert, a cinema or a theatre often means that we want to be kept happy for at least a few hours. But uh, what about the people who are expected to supply that happiness? People like Maureen Potter, are they necessarily happy people themselves? Well, at this time, you know precisely, I'm very happy to be in a very good musical. You know what I mean? As an artist. to, to And it's a mar- marvellously happy feeling to come down in the finale, you know, running down the stairs to hear the applause. It is fabulous. And, of course, any time people laughing at my jokes makes me very happy because um, sometimes uh, they don't, you know. But when they do, it's lovely. And I am extremely happy in this show because we have the most beautiful dog. I have fallen in love with the dog. I don't know how I'm going to say goodbye to him, Sandy. He's a most magnificent fellow who has the gift of everything. He has dignity and tolerance and fun. and Oh, he's the most beautiful fellow. But um, apart from show business, well, when I was... Do you know what I love and what's very happy? To go for a drive nowhere, that there is nothing to do at the end of it, that you can stop anywhere you like and then drive back again. That, that, I'm, I like simple things. I used to, when we were touring with, with Jimmy O'Dea, I used to love it because we got to the countryside, which normally we wouldn't, you know, and to look for the first primroses, that was something else. That is the most exciting thing when you turn a corner maybe or in a field and you just look down in the ditch under the hedgerow and there are the primroses. And sometimes, if you're lucky, there'd be violets. Don't seem to see so many of them now. Or finding a hedgehog on the road and putting him back 
in the field. They're beautiful things, hedgehogs. Of course, they're full of insects and things, but they're beautiful. And I think um, um, that that's makes me happy. And watching anyone doing a job, no matter what it is, and doing it well. You see, uh, see a fellow, just a gardener, you know, or a man cutting a hedge, or uh, anyone doing the thing well, or a cleaner in the street doing it well. That's that's a lovely feeling. I like little boys, little children's little children's backs of their necks. The back of little children's necks is so beautiful. The little, tiny little column of the neck and the little hair, tiny little downy hair growing. That makes me feel quite... And, of course, animals, kittens. Oh, kittens and any animals. They are just... They make me really feel happy to see animals in the wild or animals enjoying themselves. Or That's it. What else? Mm. Children, the children. I love the children at Christmas in the pantomime, when they get frightened or when they get, when they laugh. You know, when they really sit back and enjoy themselves. That's a very happy-making thing too. Well, do you think, Maureen, that it is in, happiness is inside in a person that it depends yes. on one's attitude to what's to one's circumstances? Oh, I think so, because um, like most, I think comics. I'm supposed to be a comic. I can, I get very depressed. You know, I can be very low, very low. I think most of us are like that, who who make, sort of make people laugh. It's a serious business. <laughs> I beg your pardon, but um, I think it is. It is within you. You can you can be just you can just suddenly be happy, suddenly see something, stop in the. I sometimes burst into a run when I'm going for the messages down to the shops because I think it's lovely. Look. There's a tree, there's a tree with the, with the cherry blossom, you know, and the, ah, you know, it just, you know, I'm sounding a little bit stupid, but there it is. When you look back over your life now, do you remember that there were different stages of happiness, say, when you were a child, when you were an adolescent, teenager, adult, got married first? Do these, oh, does yes. it change? Oh, it does, I think. Uh, I, um, I used to read a lot. That was wonderful. When to to read a good book when I was a kid before it was television or anything like that, that was a happy thing when you put down a good book and knew you could keep it and read it again. And um, I hated school. That was the unhappiest time of my life. I loathed school, and it was getting out of school. That was a magnificent summer holidays, going to Malahide. That was lovely. And I don't know about you, but uh, wasn't the sun always shining when we were young? It was, wasn't it? I don't remember any rainy days in Malahide. And then when I was growing up uh, with Jimmy O'Dea, the fact that he let me become a sort of comic with him, that was very happy-making. I was thrilled with that, that to know that you could make people laugh because it was Jimmy gave me the chance to do that. That was lovely. But I usually say to young people now, being married, I think, was the best. I can't remember not being married, if you know what I mean. I, I like it. And having the babies, the boys, that was lovely. That's a beautiful feeling. That's very happy. The different stages of life bring different degrees of happiness. Dr. Logan, how does this process evolve? That is, uh, of course, a... A gradual process, so gradual, of course, that you never notice it. Uh, in the in childhood and in youth, the happiness 
it's very temporary. The baby at the breast is perfectly happy. That is well. You move on from that to uh, getting, as I say, passing an exam. These are very temporary things, but having gone on through it and suffered and suffered losses and lost things that you thought you could never lose and uh, you come to the stage when you don't need many things your, some of your friends will have died uh, some of your uh, physical powers will have gone uh, and you find that they have been to in a sense burdens you are no longer burdened with them and therefore you are able to move along quietly without any particular desire without any longing to get something if only I had, if only I had uh, some people of course are so damn silly that they never get over uh, that stage and you find people who should know better saying if only, if only I had, if only I had no, as you lose and cast off these things you come to a stage when uh, your desires are limited and uh, you realise that they must be limited and you also realise that as this is an imperfect world that you have probably got a damn good share out of what is going Olive now lives in a home for the elderly after many years of a happy family life. Is she content with this totally new environment? Well, I'm very happy in it because there's a nice crowd of people in it, very respectable, nice crowd of people, and everything is spotless, and Miss Lawler makes us everyone as happy as she can. She shows no favouritism to anyone, everyone's treated alike. And we can lie down on the bed if we're not well, as long as we go down to our meals. The staff, you see, the union they're in, they're not allowed to do any nursing in it, you see. They can't attend on anyone sick or not well. And if we're, not, if we're sick, the doctor's got, and if it's necessary, we're sent to hospital, either to Blanchardstown or St Mary's. And when you come back you can just go down to your meals and die in the bed every day you need never appear in the lounge you can rest in the bed all day from one meal to another if you're not well now Mrs Brennan could you describe to me the ordinary day here from the time you get up in the morning what well, goes on the time on? we get up in the morning we get up in the morning about 8 o'clock we get up and well you need to get up at half eight if you don't like but we generally get up three of us here in this room because three has to wash and it gives you time to wash one after another between eight and nine. Breakfast is nine. Then we go down to breakfast at nine o'clock. There's four at each table. And we're changed round from one table to another every six months, five or six months, so that you'll get to know everyone at your table and get to know everyone living in the place. And there's a lot of the people here are very... Uh, well able to go out to Mass every morning and some of them go into town and 
if you want to go out anywhere during the day, if you want to belong to you, they can take you out. And you can. St- I went out for my birthday on Friday and didn't come back till Monday evening. You can stay out. And what age were you on that birthday? Eighty-nine, last Saturday. And my niece took me out on Friday, and she left me back Monday evening. It's an easy life when it comes to the end of your days. I suppose you're quite content to be alive at all and sit there and chat and enjoy a joke. I think I know that I must go soon, and no matter what turn I get, I always think, well, this is the last. I'll be gone this time. No, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not a bit afraid of death. I'm not a bit afraid to die. No, if you have, as I always say, well, you believe in God or you don't believe that there's a God at all. That's only the two ways. Because God couldn't be a liar. And the signs and proof he has given us of another world, of heaven. And if you keep his commandments, that and receive the sacraments, he'll raise you up on the last day and that you'll be in heaven for eternity and all that. Yeah, you don't have to believe that or believe nothing. Because you can't believe one thing Christ said and don't believe the other thing he said. You have to accept all. That's the way I look at it. I'm not a bit afraid to die. And my husband had a very, very happy death. He died in James's hospital from uremia, kidneys failed to act. And he, we asked him when he was dying, was he happy? And he said he was very, very happy. And this nephew of mine, only by marriage, married to my niece, my sister's daughter, bent over to Dennis and said, well, Dennis, don't have anything standing in your happiness about all of that was me, because as long as I'm alive, myself and Cora will look after her, and that's the niece that looks at me, and there's nothing I want, or nothing. I have to stop her from and pushing money to me, person pushing things into me, person bringing me things and buying me clothes, and she's the best in the world. I have very rarely seen people die unhappy. Now, many of them fear it, but they don't, still don't die. That's my view of it, anyway. Even people now who do not believe in a life hereafter? Even people who don't believe in a life hereafter. That is the amazing thing. Of course, we don't know what they believe, really. I am inclined to think that the man who tells you he doesn't believe in anything, or more accurately he will say he doesn't know, I still think he has a sort of sneaking hope that he might he might be wrong. Uh, I don't think that uh, there are many real uh, unbelievers. There are some of them with doubts. But there aren't, there aren't many unbelievers. That's my view, anyway. But certainly, uh, I have seen people with terminal illnesses who were as happy as their neighbours. Tramping the roads of Ireland in wind and rain singing ballads at street corners or in crowded smoky pubs may not be everyone's idea of contentment. Yet, when John gave up studying for the priesthood many years ago and took to the open roads with empty pockets and a few songs in his head, he was heading for a life that has since brought him great happiness. Oh, we hear the 
my stalking fainting. My heart is always trembling. I prayed it may give in. My heart is always trembling. And I prayed it light till dawn. And I prayed that you won't be able to plow the road of and you go from fairs to fairs and places like that. Fair to fair and town to town, pub to pub. And what do you do while you're in those places? Oh, sing an old ballad and have an old pint. <laughs> have an old crack and a joke. Well, do you sing for the fun of it? For the fun of it, yeah. And I sing for the, the, the crowd that be in the pub like as well. Like, you know, they love the crack. And if you, when you have the crack, they'll welcome you in anywhere, like, you know. How do the people take to you? Oh, the best, the best, especially down the west. They treat me like, like I was a king of the road. <laughs> and do you sing on the streets anymore? No, I don't say I give up singing on the streets. Like Why you. is that? Well, there wasn't enough uh, money attached to singing on the streets. Since the singing pump started, like, you know, it's more better like to go into a pub and sing a ballad, or maybe a dozen ballads, like, you know. Well, when you were singing on the streets now, would you make much money in the day? No, you wouldn't make that. Well, years ago you would, like, you know. About 25 years ago you would, like, you know. You might make a couple of pounds for the day, like, you know. But nowadays it, it's all forgotten, like, you know. Well, why is that, John? What happened? Why did the people stop well, giving money too, to you? Well, there's too much noise, like, on the streets, they see, and they can't hear you singing properly, like, you know. Too much noise, the traffic and everything like that, you know, big lorries and everything like that, and when you sing a song, maybe some tractor will come along and it's there and it's the night's out, but it's there for about five minutes and half the song is gone, like, you know. That's why they don't, they don't listen to you anymore. They don't say, John, come on into the barn, we'll sing in the barn. So they bring me into the barn, have the song in there, you know. Well, when you sing in the bar now, John, on a fair day, do you find that the people are happy I'm enough to spend friendly. plenty of money? Oh, and buy all the food. By all the porter, they want, they want. I was, I often seen the deer now down the hill, I couldn't drink all the porter I'd get. <laughs> I had to leave a couple of bottles over for the next day. Of course, it was very handy in the morning when you wake up out of the high chaparral. <laughs> well, what's the high chaparral, John? Oh, the first hay shed you run into. <laughs> well, do you go from one high chaparral to the other? One high chaparral to the, the other. How long do you spend in any particular town? One night, and off again. You're like Duffy Circus, one night only? One night only. One night only, and off again then the next day. Head off to some little pub or some small village. I love the small places, especially down the west. I love the west, you know. You were in Maynooth College one time. Well, I was one time, like, you know, but I got a bit of bad health and I had to leave it, like, you know talk to the road, but still, like, I do help out the missions. <coughs> I do help out the missions, like, if I'm, during the summertime, like, when I make good, like, you know, I do help the missions, like, the whole time, you see. Well, would anything now tempt you to give up the life you have? Oh, no, not now, no. Why is that? No, I wouldn't give it up now. I've gotten too fond of it now. Do you ever have any worries at all? Never, never worry, never have a worry. Never have a worry. That's the last thing I'd have. You never think of getting married and settling oh, down someday? No, no, no. No, never get tied down. <laughs> I stay a bachelor. Where do you gather all the songs? Well, I do get them up to young people, young laddies going to the technical school, you know. 
they do give me songs like when they know me they do tell me John when you're coming back down maybe next month or something like that we'll have a couple of songs for you and when I get the songs then I'll sit down on the side of the road until I have it off if it takes me five or six hours I'll have it off after that I'll sit down till I have it off and then I'll sing it that night in the barrow how many miles now do you usually travel in a day? In a day, you know. Well, if I wanted to, I could go nearly 30 miles in a day of walking. You walk 30 miles in a I day? I walk like And still sing after that? As long as it's not wet or anything like that, you know. And tell me now, John, how many pints would you drink after walking 30 miles in a day? Well, of course, I'd have a couple on the way, like, you know. <laughs> I'd have four or five on the way, then I'd finish off them maybe with uh, about 14 or 15 at night, like, you know. And then you go to the high chaparral? Then I go to the high chaparral and next morning off again, then that. You think that's a good life? Oh, well, I'd hope nobody else follows me, unless he's able to sing. <laughs> but uh, it's all the same. I enjoy life, you know, and I wouldn't give it up to the world. The only thing is, if I could ever get to America, I'd do the same thing. Or Australia, I'd travel all over the country. I'd run tramp the road all over the country. I'll live my youth and pride. Your paper all the glory and the clear daylight till dawn. I'm afraid that you won't be able to plow the road Young people often think that old age hasn't much to offer in terms of contentment and happiness. But Dr. Pat Logan, who has now reached the biblical age of threescore and ten, wouldn't agree. Of course that's not true. That's not true. I'm busier now than I ever was. I do have more satisfying work than I have ever done. And I'll tell you what it consists of. It consists of getting the breakfast and washing the delf and polishing the brasses, and doing the ironing, and writing books, and cooking the dinner, and all that is helping my son sometimes with his homework. I mean, that's a, a, a very satisfactory life. I find that very satisfying. And uh, certainly it's much more satisfying than uh, any time I, uh, until now, and I'm perfectly content to keep at it as long as I possibly can. Of course, I nearly said there that you're in the fairies. Well, I am in the fairies in the sense that I've been writing about the fairies. The fairies will appear on the most suitable day the fairies can, the, the great day when the fairies are here, on the 1st of May next. <laughs> 